Remember when I talked about how we should ditch the gatekeepers back in April? Uh, Check the podcatcher for a link. Well, it's now time to talk about another aspect of gatekeeping, entitlement. Specifically, how some gamers feel entitled to something because they play video games. As with gatekeepers, it's all nonsense. This is the Waffling Taylor's Roll with Jay, a series of shorter episodes of indefinite length. These episodes will cover shorter topics which don't really fit within the scope of the show, or topics that I want to cover in my own way. Uh, That's not to say that we won't cover these topics in the main show, but I'd like to take a whack at them here first. Anyway, let's get to it. There are lots of definitions of entitlement, but this is the one I'm going to use for this episode. The feeling that you have the right to do or have what you want without having to work for it or deserve it just because of who you are. Check the full show notes for a source on that. I'm sure that we all know someone who behaves as though they're entitled to something that they might not actually be entitled to. But this episode is all about the folks who have that sense of entitlement specifically because they play video games. I'm sure you've seen something like this in the past. I've bought and played every entry in this series, and they need to make another one because I want them to. If you remember the fallout from the ending of the Mass Effect trilogy, you'll have seen this when the fans rallied round and forced EA to create a different ending to the game because they didn't like the original. This is an example of entitlement by gamers. Although there is more to it than that. I take the stance that games have the ability to be art, especially story-driven games. After all, someone, or indeed a team of someones, has to write the story, and stories are art. There's an argument here about whether the creator has the final say in the art that they create, or whether it should be down to the consumers of that art. But that's for smarter people than me to think about. The point that I'm attempting to drive towards, and remember, all of this is my opinion, is that you aren't entitled to anything simply because you play video games. To explain why, let's talk a little bit about how games development companies actually work. Game development companies are businesses first. So the first thing that you need to know about games development companies is that they are businesses first and foremost. That means that they have someone, or a group of someones, overlooking almost every decision that the company makes to ensure that they make the most profit possible. And that's another thing that I feel most gamers forget. Almost every company on the planet aims to make as much money for as little investment as possible. To quote my good friend Steve Worthy, Focus on win. What's important now? As a side note, if you're interested in business and how to be better at leadership, you should totally listen to Steve's podcast, Retail Leadership with Steve Worthy. Check your podcatcher for a link. This means that a company should always be looking at what is important now. And for the majority of games development companies, it isn't the developers, designers and artists who decide what important means. That decision is made by the shareholders, whose main goal is for the company to make money. Whilst the employees of the games company might want to create the Greatest game ever! 
the shareholders might want to release something as soon as possible in order to get that important injection of cash. I hate to bring up Cyberpunk 2077, but I just did. To be fair, that particular title had a lot of problems, the least of which was the rush to release it for Christmas 2020. The only way that a company can turn profit is to release products that are guaranteed to do so. This means releasing products which fit the biggest demand in the market. I'm sure you've all heard of supply and demand as part of economic theory, and since video games are a product with a market, this applies here too. Have you ever wondered why there are new licensed NFL, NBA, NHL, FIFA and other sports games each year? Demand for them means that companies like EA supply the products which fill that demand. And there's another example of as little investment as possible. Hopefully you can hear the bunny quotes. Licensing entire leagues of sports teams along with their logos and player likenesses is ridiculously expensive. One report from 2019 states that EA spends between $100 million and $150 million just for their yearly FIFA titles. So before they even start, they're up to $150 million down. And that's before they start paying developers, designers, artists, testers, and license any music for the games. Imagine if you wanted to compete with that. Game development is a global industry. The other thing to take into account with the games development industry is that it's a truly global industry. But even with that taken into account, a considerable number of game development companies are based in the Far East. Each games development company has global sales targets, to be sure, but they also have their own local targets. This means that whilst Konami, for instance, want to make as much money as possible in the global market, they know that they have a much better investment-to-profit ratio in Japan, where they can produce pachinko machines. And pachinko is big business in Japan. Because of this, a lot of companies, and not just games developers, release country- or region-specific products. The most recent example I can think of is the Game Gear Micro. For those unfamiliar with that, here's a quick TLDR. If you don't know what that means, that means too long didn't read. Of an article that I wrote about the Game Gear Micro. Back in the 1990s, Sega released a handheld games console which was meant to rival Nintendo's Game Boy. Where the Game Boy had a monochromatic screen using a dot matrix display, the Game Gear used a full-colour LCD screen. This meant that the Game Gear chewed through batteries in around three hours, if you were lucky, whereas the Game Boy could last anywhere between 10 and 30 hours on fewer batteries. Anyway, 2020 saw the 60th anniversary of Sega, which they celebrated with a number of Japanese commercials showing the son of Sega Tarsanshiro, a fictional character created to advertise the Sega Saturn, going to school and using almost all of Sega's video game accessories. Uh, I would track down the commercials if I were you, as they're really quite fun to watch. Anyway, alongside this, Sega were hinting that they had a big surprise for their Japanese market. This caused a number of YouTubers to theorise that it was clearly, obviously never going to not be, the successor to the Dreamcast a theory which held no water whatsoever as Sega had publicly sworn off the console market. Uh, it's even more expensive to manufacture a console, and you have to take a huge hit on profits for the first two to three years of a console's lifetime, so most people don't find that economically viable. 
Anyway, all this came to a fever pitch when Sega announced a range of Android-powered devices called the Game Gear Micro. Those who had convinced themselves that the announcement would be for a Dreamcast 2 were upset and began swearing off Sega and calling for a boycott. Interestingly, the loudest voice in this was back on Sega's side a month later. Controversy creates cash, I suppose, and obviously, you know, you've got to feed that YouTube algorithm. What had actually happened was that Sega had identified what they thought as a gap in the Japanese market and looked to fill it. Sometimes filling a gap in the market can come off, and you can make lots of money, and sometimes it doesn't. At the time of writing this episode, I can't find any sales figures for the micro, so I can't comment on how well it did. Uh, Check your podcatcher for a link to the article that I wrote about the Game Gear Micro that sort of made up this section. A lot of Japanese console titles released in the 90s didn't actually see a release in the West, because it wasn't seen as worth the cost of translating, uh, that's actually translating the game text from one language to another, localizing, uh, that's changing the cultural references to ones used in the target market, so for instance, the Ace Attorney games are filled with Japanese references, and to make them viable for the Western audiences, they have to make them into Western references marketing and shipping the games to the West. A lot of this was down to the perceived difference in video gaming cultures in the West versus the Far East, ones which I have seen firsthand. For instance, a lot of Japanese gamers that I know will actually go to an arcade, like a physical brick-and-mortar place, in order to play more arcadey titles, and will reserve their home gaming for more slow-burn story-driven RPG-style games. The cost of making games. Games development, as with any other industry, is about risk and reward, or cost versus benefit. Most AAA titles can cost anywhere between $60 million and $80 million and take upwards of three years to develop. Again, I don't want to mention Cyberpunk 2077, but I just did. And the majority of shareholders will want a return on that initial cost almost immediately. It is that metric that the majority of game development companies will use in order to decide whether it's worth making a specific title. If a product isn't going to make a lot of money, then it won't be created. It is that simple. With that being said, it's often hard to estimate whether a game or a series will do well in gaming, because the trends shift almost constantly. When Fortnite was released, almost no one expected it to cause the planned Unreal Tournament game of that year to be cancelled, but that's what happened. No one could have predicted the success of titles like Among Us and Fall Guys, especially during a summer which saw Animal Crossing, Doom Eternal, Call of Duty and Medal of Honor releases. With that being said, there are a few game genres that will always make money. Sports games... Brown Grey Shooters, uh, that's my title for those throwaway FPS games, and MMORPGs. Sports fans will almost always gravitate towards the latest release of a sports game, simply because they can keep up with the real leagues, teams, and players when they are playing those games. Brown Grey Shooters, or first-person shooters, will always sell well because they have that arcadey instant feedback feel with their over-the-top action and MMORPGs will always sell well, that is, if they're developed properly, 
because there's a sense of community for players to attach to. Listen to our discussion with John Krikorian about his journey with EverQuest for a real example. Uh, Check your podcatcher for a link to that episode, specifically episode 95, which was part two of our discussion with him. If the genre of the game doesn't fit within that list, then the chances of it selling well are not great, which means that a game's development company will be less likely to put upwards of three years and $80 million into developing it. That doesn't mean that they won't release closed betas and pass game ideas around to market researchers, or that the game in question won't ever see the light of day, it just becomes less likely. And none of that covers the cost of marketing, advertisements, endorsements, influencers, and community management. And all of that only applies to the AAA companies. The majority of indies are interested in creating whatever they want, often blending genres together or hyper-focusing on one gameplay mechanic. Entitlement in gaming. I didn't want to stray too far from the imagined quote from earlier on in the episode. I've bought and played every entry in this series and they need to make another one because I want them to. Over the past decade or two, I've seen more and more consumers of video games communicate with the development companies with a greater and greater sense of entitlement. Just because you have bought and used a product doesn't mean that you have a say in the future products that a company may or may not manufacture. Unless, of course, you are on the board at a games development company, in which case, why are you listening to this episode? As consumers, I feel that there is a certain lacking in compassion towards the creators of the products that we consume, especially in relation to how fast a large percentage of consumers discard new games for even newer ones. But that might be a problem for another rant. And don't even get me started on I can't afford it, so I want it for free. Or Give me it for free because I'm a fan. Having seen the amount of work that goes into the majority of pieces of art, commercialised or otherwise, first hand, I would say that all creators should be paid for their works. And it's something that we believe very deeply in at the Waffling Tailors. Anyway. That's a story for another day. In closing, as I've said before, these shorter episodes are all my own opinions on things, not necessarily Squidge's or any of our guests, just mine. And you don't have to agree with them, but I'd be interested to hear what you think about the type of entitlement that I've covered here. I genuinely believe that purchasing a product doesn't necessarily give the consumer the right to demand more or a change or another, especially for free. Games are a multi-billion dollar industry, and a company isn't going to invest the time and money required to create something if there isn't a market for it. Plus, having a sense of entitlement detracts from the fun that we're all meant to be having when playing these games. Remember, games are meant to be a fun way to spend time. We should be avoiding the people who stop it from being fun. With that being said, I'm going to go and play some games. So who's with me? Hey, Russell, tell the people what to do. Go. Play. That's it, my friend. That's it.
Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Stage Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GK. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Decay. See the show notes for a link.